bread of life, we come to you because we're hungry. We're hungry for truth. We're hungry for reality. Lord, we, we hear the lies that are all around us. And we come back time and time again to your word. Your word is truth. Your word is what conforms to reality. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we wait upon you, that your Holy Spirit will help us as we understand a little bit about Luke, a little bit about the gospel according to Luke. And then, Lord, I pray that you help us to take these things and that we will apply them to our lives. Lord, you told us, you warned us that if we understand and we don't do these things, then our lives will fall apart uh, when the storms of life come. And then, Lord, even you've warned us further by saying that uh, if we don't take these things and apply them, what we think we have will be taken from us. Lord, we don't want that. We want to accept, we want to take into our souls so we will live out what you tell us. We want to be a, a better disciple. We want to be a better follower of yours. And so we pray that you will use this time to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know how they rack and stack the best preachers, but a guy named John Chrysostom is considered the best early church preacher there was. Is around uh, AD 300 vintage. He was nicknamed Golden Mouth because of his eloquent tongue. He preached successfully in Antioch until he was kidnapped and he was actually forced to occupy a chair, a seat of position called the uh, Archbishop in Constantinople. It's modern day Izmir, Turkey. But as often as it happens, his listeners did not like the way he preached against public sins. And so he was exiled, and he died in exile. It's like the people were saying, get rid of that guy. We, we want to be satisfied in our sins. In one of his sermons, Chrysostom said, let us continue steadfastly to hold what they, quote, have delivered unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now, if you read through Luke, you know that kind of sounds familiar to you. And let us not be curious beyond what they deliver to us. He says, for two evils will attend those who are ill with this disease called curiosity. The wearing of themselves out, seeking what is impossible to find, and they're provoking God to overturn the bounds, as in the bounds of truth, set by him. Chrysostom warned the early Christians and us, by extension, to not desire to go beyond what God had already given us. Didn't Peter tell us that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through his revealed word? In a nutshell, Christism sounded a warning almost 2,000 years ahead of time. Don't go after truth substitutes. Don't try to make up your own truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, embrace the truth, the truth revealed in the Gospels. Now, speaking of the Gospels, I am very pleased to hear some of the reports from you guys. And you've taken up the challenge of reading through the Gospel of Luke this week. And the excitement I hear in your voices does me really, really good. This is great. It's exciting to hear. And if you haven't done it yet, as in read through the Gospel of Luke, preferably in one sitting, you know, there's still time to do that. I mean, we're going to be in Luke for quite a while. And, you know, it only takes about two and a half hours to do so. Ask me how I know. So whether you spread it out over a week or or you carve out time to do it just in one sitting, you know, let me encourage you. You're not going to regret it. 
if you apply Nike theology. Just do it, yes. Well, today we're going to dive into Luke's gospel and how we need to, as Golden Mouth said, steadfastly hold to what they have delivered unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Today, all around the world, we live in a pandemic of lies. Isn't that true? Where is truth to be found? Now, we all know, sitting in this room, we all know where truth is to be found. It's in the scripture. It's in the Bible. And we take it for granted, don't we, that every word, every verse from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 22-21 is true. See, we're about 1,900 years removed from when John wrote Revelation. That was the last truth document written. But there's a very popular phrase in our culture, which in the minds of many have replaced the Bible as truth. And it goes like this. My truth. And anyone who dares to go against this new orthodoxy will be attacked. Now, according to many, we're not allowed to say there is objective truth come from God. Now, we can say things like, I think, or I feel this way, or my experience is this way or that way. You know, that's acceptable. But what we cannot say with conviction is that God has given us truth and we must live by it. But if we claim to follow Christ, we must say we have objective truth. Divine truth exists. And especially comes to the case of who Jesus Christ is. Now, last week I highlighted for you a few of the so-called gospels that people wrote back in the day, which painted a far different picture of Jesus than what we have in our four gospels. But we know that Jesus was not married to Mary Magdalene. We know that Judas was not Jesus' favorite disciple. And we know that women do not have to become males to obtain eternal life. Now, these are examples of attempts by people whom Christendom called curious. The writers of these so-called gospels just made stuff up. See, if they didn't wear themselves out seeking what it is impossible to find, they were busy provoking God to overturn the bounds, as in boundaries of truth set by him. He sets the boundaries for truth. We don't have the right to go beyond that. So with that said, Let's focus our attention on Luke's gospel today. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, first four verses. So if you don't have it open already, go ahead, and I would encourage you to, to do that because we're going to read through that. Now, this is a short but very important passage, this section of inspired scripture that sets the tone for the rest of the book. As we explore this passage, I want to remind us again of who Luke was and how his gospel was recognized as inspired scripture from the get-go, and every bit is inspired as the gospel according to Matthew and Mark and John. And then I want us to apply even this section to our lives. It is very practical. These four verses line up perfectly. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. It originated with him ultimately and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Let's not forget the purpose, so that the man, the woman, the young person of God may be thoroughly equipped and complete for every good work. Let's just read together Luke 1, 1 1-4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word 
have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Now Luke, a Gentile, was a first century medical doctor. He was a disciple of the apostles. Later he followed Paul until his martyrdom, serving the Lord blamelessly. He never had a wife, he never married, never had kids, and he died at the age of 84, full of the Holy Spirit. So says the document called the Prologues of the Gospels. Now Luke was a man who was driven to investigate the words and the deeds and the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, down to the minute details. Attention to detail is what one would expect from a physician. Would you agree? Even today, isn't that what we demand of our doctors? Attention to detail. You know, I pray all the time that God would even give the doctors even greater observational skills and power. But now, we don't know, though, how or when Luke attached himself to the apostles, and especially Paul. But given the horrendous way Paul was mistreated for his boldness for Christ, isn't it amazing that the Lord sovereignly put Luke into Paul's life to kind of take care of him? I think it's kind of cool. And we also don't know how Luke came to place his faith in Christ as well. You know, we don't know the backstory there either. But it was obvious that he did. And in this gospel, we have a record inspired by God of those things that were accomplished among the apostles. So let's go into these uh, four verses. And we're going to see two things surrounding Luke and his writing. We're going to ask why and who. Why and who. And the first, why did Luke take all that time and all that trouble to write this account down? I think there's two reasons here. First, he acknowledges that other people have made an attempt to write a narrative about the things that certainly have been accomplished among us in the Christian community. The implication is, though the accounts of many were accurate, they were missing some details. And Luke wanted to fill those in. See, in verse 3, Luke said that he followed all things closely for some time, and he felt the need to write his story about what he gathered from the apostles. In other words, examining the material that he came across, the eyewitnesses and documents, he realized that in trying to put things together, there were some missing parts and pieces. And he was ultimately directed by the Holy Spirit to put things together so that the gospel picture would be complete. Now, one of the first spiritual brainiacs of the early church, he was called Irenaeus. Maybe you've heard about Irenaeus. Maybe you've studied about Irenaeus. And many people would call Irenaeus uh, sort of like a first century or second century apologist, you know, a defender of the faith. You know, if you're familiar with Lee Strobel, you know, the case for Christ, you know, he's an apologist of the day. Now, Irenaeus wrote a very famous work, according to those who really kind of follow early church history and things like that. He wrote a document called Against Heresies in AD 180. And what he did, he rattled off no less than 30 events and teaching points that were unique to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Nowhere else is found except in this Gospel of Luke. You know, many commentators, you know, I've studied and things, uh, they pointed these things out. But I think it's significant to know that even back then, about 120 years removed from Luke writing, other people had taken notice of the differences and of the unique material found in Luke. 
So let me give you just a, a couple of these things. In Luke alone is the story of the birth of John the Baptist. Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she was going to bear the Messiah. Luke included the healing of a man with dropsy. Maybe you know what dropsy is. I didn't know until I, I looked it up, and it's a swelling of the tissues of a person. Kind of, you know, it's really, I guess, kind of gross looking. And, and Jesus healed that man. Luke also wrote down the story of a woman who had suffered for 18 years. And he did it on the Sabbath. But you kind of expect Luke to put those kind of stories in there, wouldn't you? If it wasn't for the Gospel of Luke, we wouldn't know the parables of the prodigal son, or Lazarus and the rich man, or even the good Samaritan. And we would not have the details of the conversation that Jesus had with the two men going down the road to Emmaus. Indeed, Luke closely examined the narratives, A to Z, or Alpha to Omega, if you prefer. But it stands to reason, for again, Luke was a doctor. Attention to detail was his, was his specialty. It was his forte. There's another reason why Luke wanted to write a thoroughly examined, orderly account of the words and deeds of Christ. He wanted his friend Theophilus to have a certainty of it or a full knowledge concerning the things that he was taught. And we're going to talk about Theophilus and, and, the, and, and his relationship with him in a minute. But now I'm going to zero in on what certainty is here. See, certainty does not only indicate what is included regarding Jesus' words and deeds. It also exposes what deceptions are to be excluded. You know, we've got so many Jesuses running around, don't we? A whole lot of misunderstanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus was. And Luke wanted to kind of set the record straight. He wanted to exclude all kinds of things. In other words, Luke's aim was to contribute to the truth of who Jesus was and what he said and what he did. But there was at the back of his mind, and probably even at the forefront of his mind, words that he heard his mentor Paul say to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, of course, again, you know, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And so he was with Luke, or he was with Paul when he heard Paul say some of these words of warning. And so if you want to turn with me to Acts 20, verses 26 to 30, or just read along in your in manuscript, you can do that. But here, Paul was, was giving some warning to these elders here in the church. And this is one of the famous we passages, you know, that the very sophisticated scholars, you know, uh, identified these passages as that, that Luke was with Paul here in these we passages. And right before they went aboard ship, at least as far as Luke and Paul, here's what Paul said to them. Therefore, I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention, careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there were a couple of reasons why Luke wrote this, why he spent the energy and the resources to do this. First, it was to round out the story, to make a perfect gospel, as one early church father had said, and, and call the gospel of Christ early uh, a perfect gospel. 
And second, it was to exclude deceptive stories that were already creeping into the church. And so now let's turn the corner from the why of, of Luke, why he did this, and let's now t- talk to uh, about the who, about the who. And his name was Theophilus. Now that name Theophilus means lover of God. And apparently this man's name was not all that unique in the first century. A lot of people were named Theophilus back then. And so who was Theophilus that Luke so highly respected? Not much is known about him from what people can glean. He apparently was a Roman citizen, of course, who had some clout in the government. And as a Roman government official, he was without a doubt really concerned about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You know, to have peace of Rome at all costs throughout the empire. Because this is what held the empire together. And it was unknown as to how Theophilus took an interest in the Christian message. We don't know how he came across it. It's also unknown how Luke and Theophilus became friends. But from my study, it's very apparent that though Theophilus took an interest in the gospel, he was still kind of checking things out. There doesn't seem to be, at least from my own perspective, that he was actually a full-blown follower of Christ at that point yet. It seems that he had not become a true disciple of Jesus. And no doubt he had some informal discussions, though, about Christ. And again, he was very interested in who Christ was. But there were several things that converged, as I'd done the study, in the experience of Theophilus regarding the gospel of Christ. First, he was a man of means and influence. And again, he was holding to the Pax Romana. Second, the Jews were relatively unpopular in the empire. They held themselves aloof because they had that pesky little idea about monotheism. They just worshiped one God, you know, and, and the, uh, the Romans, they didn't quite like that. And third, the Jesus movement was seen by many as an offshoot of the Jewish religion. So again, it's unknown exactly how Luke and Theophilus got to be friends, but it is quite possible that Luke wanted to assure his influential friend that the Jesus movement was not politically dangerous to the empire. Now, truly, it was subversive, though. Can you agree with that? You know, when Jesus was asked the question, should we pay taxes or not? And what did Jesus say about that? He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So what was Jesus saying? That Caesar is not God. You got to give to God what belongs to God. So it was subversive, but Jesus didn't go and, and start a revolt against the empire. And that's the point. And so Luke set about to write this orderly account for his friend Theophilus, a lover of God. It's possible that Luke only intended his two volume set, Luke and Acts, to go no farther than just informing his friend about things about Jesus that he'd become acquainted with. But more than likely, Luke had his eye on the Christian community at large. You know, he was from Antioch, you know, like in Acts chapter 11. He was from that town. Though Luke was not an apostle, he was very closely related to them. He hung out with them. He ministered with them. He heard their stories. He saw the vigorous godliness of these men, all these apostles, to include his beloved mentor, Paul. And the influence was so profound that I'm convinced that at some time, Luke looked at these men and say, I want to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. And as we know, the door was already open to the Gentiles. Because remember in, in Acts chapter 10, 
you know, Cornelius, the Holy Spirit came upon him and his family. And of course, you know, Luke wrote about that. And without a doubt, Paul warmly welcomed this Gentile physician into his fellowship. And the amazing thing was that the truth, the truth was absolutely transferred from the first generation Jewish apostles to now a second generation Gentile Christian. It's what I call a chain of custody. There's no doubt that what Luke, a mere disciple, Gentile disciple, wrote was inspired scripture, just as inspired as Paul's writings or John's writings or Peter's writings. In other words, what we have in the Gospel of Luke is an absolute inspired truth passed down from the Jewish eyewitnesses of Jesus to a Gentile convert. Isn't that amazing? See, we can trust Luke's writings just like we can trust the rest of Scripture. Around A.D. 325, one of the first historians of the church, his name was Eusebius, wrote this about the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. Here's what he says. But Luke, who was especially intimate with Paul and well acquainted with the rest of the apostles, has left us two inspired books. One of these books is the gospel, which he testifies that he wrote as he, as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered unto him, all of whom he says he followed accurately from the first. The other book is the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, from which he composed, not from the accounts of others, but from what he personally experienced. So the bottom line here is that what we have, we who are Christians, we don't follow our truth. We follow the truth, just as the Christians since day one follow the inspired writings of the Jewish apostles and one Gentile convert, Dr. Luke. So this is where I want to turn the corner and make it very applicable. Apply this scripture, apply this passage to our lives. See, there's no doubt that Luke was profoundly influenced by the stories he heard from the apostles and the lives that they lived. Would you agree? How they lived their lives rubbed off on Luke. Truly, this Gentile convert was mentored by the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And what this meant in the day-to-day life of Luke was that he simply caught the heart of Jesus' commandment. For Luke saw it played out right in front of his eyes. And so naturally, or should I say supernaturally, what the apostles did, Luke followed right along. And the truth of the Lord Jesus was realized in that dynamic between Luke and the apostles, as he says in Luke 640. He quotes Jesus by saying this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Once again, it's not known how Luke and Theophilus met. It's also not known whether Theophilus was an actual follower of Christ or an interested outsider who was just still checking Jesus out. Don't really know for sure. Because the word taught, uh, as translated taught in verse 4, in the original simply means instructed, or it means like an orientation. See, the way things were often done back in the day to spread the gospel was often done through informal conversations between Christians and those who were interested. It was not like a classroom, you know, where you sit down and you've got a you've got a lecturer and you've got everybody else who kind of in rapt attention listen, kind of like what we're doing here. 
But it was more like what we do on Wednesday nights if you're there. Or what we do like on Sunday mornings. Or even on in home Bible studies. But notice though, the love and the care that Luke had for his highly respected friend. Luke took the time to do the research, to compile the, what he discovered, and he wrote a book with over 19,000 Greek words, 1,100 verses. And then Luke went extra innings, and he wrote the book of Acts, specifically for his friend. And that contains more than 18,000 Greek words. See, this man was vitally concerned about giving Theophilus the absolute certainty regarding the life and, and teaching and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's something to be said for, for what has been called discipleship evangelism. And this is largely what Jesus did. He just told people, hey, follow. Have you ever noticed, though, in your reading of the Gospels, that Jesus never introduced salvation to someone by saying, okay, now you got to pray the sinner's prayer? <laughs> Me neither. See, Jesus always commanded discipleship. And he always introduced it this way, follow me. And so when Luke followed the apostles, it seems clear that he simply did what they did. He developed an apostle's heart, even as Luke heard the account of the Lord told as he told his apostles in Luke 24, 44 to 48. Luke heard this account from them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And certainly Luke had knowledge about another saying of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as we have it identified. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all that commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the application, the challenge ought to be obvious to us. See, Luke availed himself to the most accurate teaching he can get. Eyewitness accounts of the apostles, two gospels already in existence, and serving the Lord side by side with Paul. Luke, as a Gentile, soaked up the teachings like a sponge about the Jewish Messiah that was passed on to him. He soaked it up. He loved it. And then Luke went into his world and proclaimed the gospel. See, in his world, the Lord sovereignly placed Theophilus, a man of influence and means. And Luke befriended him and filled in the gaps of his understanding regarding Jesus, the Jesus he himself loved and served. And then Luke went out of his way to help his friend. My challenge to us as we begin the gospel of Luke is that we do the same. See, we're to avail ourselves to the most accurate teaching that we can get our hands on. May I suggest Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock Bible Fellowship, and Wednesday nights at 7 as we get into interactive Bible study. How we need to pray. And may I suggest Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock, and Sunday mornings, you know, here, 7.30.
And then we need to ask the Lord to place a burden on our hearts to help those in our world become reconciled to Jesus and help those who are reconciled to become like him. Many of us here are already involved in discipleship and disciple-making relationships. Many of us are thrilled when the Lord gives us opportunities to proclaim the gospel, and we rejoice with one another when that happens. Isn't that right? But how many of you who call Grace United Family Church your church home have yet to make yourself available to actually study the Word of God with others, wrestling with the text and seeking to apply it? I understand that there are different circumstances for different people. But if if you're able to do it and you're not doing it, Why not? How many of you, for whatever reason, simply do not proclaim the gospel to those you know who in your family, in your spheres of influence, need to be reconciled to Jesus? As I close the message, I want to leave us with a few questions. First question, where would you be if you had not received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? If somebody had not come and given you the gospel, or you didn't have access to a Bible, or maybe your mom and dad, or maybe a pastor of a church near your house preached the gospel. If they didn't do that, where would you be right now? Where would you be going right now? Second, what is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Greatest thing. Now, I hope and I trust that your answer is knowing Christ Jesus and having the privilege of serving him. And if not, why not? Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And if knowing him and serving him is not the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, why not? And third, what is the greatest thing that you could ever do for somebody else? And I hope that your answer is to proclaim the gospel to that person or to help that person become more like Jesus. If it's not, why not? Well, here's the bottom line in all of this. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. As followers of Christ, because he is the truth, we follow the truth. We're not allowed to follow our truth and call ourselves Christians. May the Lord help us to humbly but boldly say, like the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's pray. Dearest Lord Jesus, the one who is and has all authority been given to you in heaven and on earth, the one who told all of your followers to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that you've commanded. Through your spirit, Lord, you said you promised that you would be with your people to the end of the age. And you told us to go to the end of the earth, and you promised, Lord, that you would be there too at the end of the earth. So Lord, I thank you for the apostle. Now, I thank you for the, 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 the Gentile uh, a convert, the Gentile disciple named Luke. I thank you that he was friends 
close friends, close allies with the apostles, especially the apostle Paul. I thank you, Lord, for the position and, and situation in life that you gave him. Lord, he had uh, the ability to, to accompany all these people. He didn't have a family that would tie him down, so to speak. He didn't have the things that would, would hold him back. Lord, he was able to go and, and to do the things that uh, you had ultimately called him to do. And because of that, Lord, because of his personality, because of all the things and, and the way that you made him up, he was able to, with very precise, um, very precise uh, activity, to look in all these things and to write down for us a gospel, a, a document of good news of who you really are. So I thank you, Lord, for, for Luke. I thank you, Lord, for his work. I thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts as well. And so, Lord, I thank you that we can come to this book and we have confidence that this book is, is inspired just like all the other uh, uh, passages and all the other uh, writings are inspired, that we can glean from you what you want us to know and how to live our lives, of how we can know more of who you are and know more uh, of your world. Lord, help us to live faithfully to you in the world that you've created. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for these things. And I pray now, Lord, as we turn our attention to our giving as well as to our singing, I pray, Lord, that these acts of worship will be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name.